Praise God. There is no one like our God. Amen? Amen. Nobody. Nobody at all. There's no other God at all. Not just no other God who can say, but just no other God at all. And so, man, I'm, I'm just rem- I'm thankful for worship songs that remind me of the truth of Scripture. There's no other God who can save, but praise God for the one that does. That's who we're talking about today. We've been in this series that we've titled, You Are Known. You Are Known. And I think that's such a good word for us here today, especially if maybe you're unfamiliar with with church or you haven't read your Bible in a while or maybe you have a form of godliness, but you weren't quite sure who the God of the Bible is. I think that we can learn much from this story that we've been walking through in the Bible that, that tells the narrative of a guy named Jacob. Jacob, we're in the fourth week of this series, You Are Known. And we're studying through the life of this biblical character, this, this man of God. Sometimes it's hard to tell whether he's a man of God or not. Uh, his name is Jacob. Jacob is complicated by all means of that word. He has all types of problems going on. He's much like us. He has all types of issues. He's got relationship issues. He has sibling issues. He has parental issues. He has issues with God. He has issues in his life, and yet he is so known. And you would think at some point in the story that God would say, I'm done with this dude. But it seems like the more, that, the more messed up he gets, the more God draws closer to him. And God's saying, I'm trying to get your attention because I love you so much. So maybe if you sometimes, if you're here today and you just feel like, man, God, get off my back. It's God really just saying, I love you. I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you go. That's good news if you sense his nearness. He's near to this guy named Jacob. On our first week, we, we talked about Jacob's uh, his first days as he was born right behind his brother Esau. He was born clutching at Esau's heel. He was wrestling. He was grabbing. He wanted to be first. He wanted to come out first. That's why he was called Jacob. Jacob means heel grabber, means I'm going first. Yet he wasn't first. He was born in a way that he, he, he always was competitive to the point where he would deceive in order to get his way. And so he would deceive his brother into stealing away his birthright, and that was week two where we saw the worst trade in the history of humanity, where, where Esau traded away his birthright uh, for a bowl of stew. And we talked about, hey, how you should never trade what God can give you for a lifetime, for what you want in the moment. The temporary bowl that doesn't satisfy, all it does is just meet the need for that moment, is not worth giving away the calling that God has on your life. And we saw that in Jacob's life. Jacob deceives me. He says, I want your birthright. And Esau, he, he despised his birthright and gave it away so flimsy. And he, he later in his life would regret that moment. Last week, last week we, we went deeper into Jacob's story. And we saw how he yet again deceives his brother Esau. As, as his father Isaac gets ready to lay the hand of blessing on his son Esau, Jacob deceives his brother by, by going in and dressing up like Esau, and he puts on goat skin and, and fur, and he, he gets the scent of his brother, and he deceives his dad, who was weak and could no longer see, and he says, who am I touching? And Jacob lies in that moment. He says, you're touching your firstborn son Esau. And he says, but you sound like Jacob. And he says, I know, but it's me, Esau. And 
We learned last week that deceivers never prosper. Because what happens at the end of last week's story is that though he deceived his dad, he couldn't deceive his God. And so because of that, Esau found out that he was deceived, that his brother stole his blessing and his birthright. And so Esau said, that's all right, because I'll kill you. <laughs> and like, man, that was dangerous language right there. Uh, Jacob's mother, Rebecca, said, hey, look, your brother's really upset. He's a skilled craftsman hunter. He's looking for blood with your name on it. The best thing you should do is run away. And we talked about it last week. What good is it to get blessed all to run in the, in, and hide? God doesn't bless you so that you can run away with it. He blesses you so you can use it for his glory and our good. So now Jacob's on the move. He's running. He's saying, man, I hope Esau's not behind me with the bow and arrow. I don't know where I'm going necessarily. I, I, I don't have directions. I don't have an iPhone with the GPS. But I'm on the move, and I'm going to meet my mom's brother, Laban, in the city of Haran. And so he's on the move, and God ministers to Jacob in the middle of the night one night. While he's on his journey, he gets a rock and he sets it down and he goes to sleep on this rock pillow, which just seems like it would hurt. <laughs> he just grabbed a stone. He's like, this one seems moldable. I'll set this down and I'll go to sleep. And God reveals himself in, in a dream to Jacob there. And here's what he says, I'm with you. Isn't that a good word? When it, maybe, maybe that's a word for somebody really quick. Side, side word. If, you're, if you feel like you're in the wilderness, which is where Jacob was, he was just on this journey, he had no idea where he was, he grabbed a stone, I just need to take a rest, and God revealed himself, and he said, just so you know, I'm with you. If you're in the, if you're in the wilderness right now, you just feel like you, you're not quite sure where to turn, left, right, straight, what's happening in my life, just hear God say, you know what, I'm with you. Stay close, press on, endure, stay the course, don't give in. I am with you, is what he tells Jacob. We'll revisit that story in a couple weeks. Jacob says, he wakes up and he says, man, the Lord, the Lord is with me. Sometimes just that word is enough motivation to carry on. Just God saying, hey, psh, I'm with you, is enough motivation, right? It's kind of like when I, I, Nina and I were in California this past week and finally got to take a couple days of vacation, was able to take my son into the ocean. He's three and a half now. Some of y'all know EPAP. He's absolutely crazy. And he was in the, the he, he got really close to the water and he said, you going with me, right? <laughs> well, I'm not going in those waves by myself and I'm going with you. Motivated him to take a step. Just the fact that God goes with you, may, may that be the encouragement you need to go into this new school year. The fact that God's going into the classroom with you, that God's going into your job with you, that maybe you just got fired from your job, but you're not sure what that's going to look like now, just know that he's still with you when that happens is a good word. We'll, we'll, we'll revisit this story, but what I want to do now is I want to jump into a chapter, chapter 29, and see what happens here as Jacob wakes up from the stone and he goes into this new journey where he meets Laban, and we see a whole lot of cool stuff happen from there. The title of my sermon this morning simply put as this, looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> looking for love in all the wrong places. We're going to learn some stuff today from Jacob's journey. Are you guys cool if we read the Bible today? Y'all all right with it? If you're not cool with it, it's going to happen anyway. So it doesn't, doesn't really matter that much, but uh, we are unapologetically passionate about the word of God. And okay, yeah, yes, yeah. Because God is a God who speaks. 
God's word is living and active. We don't need to pray for God's word to be active. It's already active. We just got to open it and read it. And that's what we're going to do now. We're going to read a whole bunch of scripture. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29. And we're going to read a whole chapter again, all right? And while we read this chapter, we're going to pull out some points that I believe we can get and learn from today. The text says that, Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. Verse 3, when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Let me just stop there really quick just to give you a little bit of context. Jacob shows up in this land called Haran and he's just surveying. He's looking around. He's saying, what's going on here? And he notices this big old well. All right, can you guys just see the well? Jacob's well, right? There's this well there and there's this huge stone on top of the well. And just imagine all these shepherd people looking at the stone like, that's gonna be a heavy stone to move. And here's what the text says. The context says that they would move the stone only once. And that was when enough sheep showed up at the well because they didn't want to move the stone, put the, put the stone back, and then move it again. So they said, well, we're going to wait for all the sheep so we can just kind of get the most bang for our buck. Does that make sense? That's what's happening here. And Jacob's like, this is kind of an interesting deal. There's like a powwow going on by the well. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well to water the sheep. Put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Verse 4. So here's what Jacob said to these people. My brothers, where do you come from? They said, we are from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, it's well. And see, Rachel, his daughter's coming with the sheep. I say it like that because there was an exclamation point. Do y'all see it? Yeah. <laughs> They just got excited. They were like, you know, you know, Laban? Yeah, I know. And there's his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. I like this next word right here. Check this out. Behold. <laughs> Jacob says, behold, who is that? He says, it is still high day. It's not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. So I love how Jacob turns into like leader mode. He's like, all right, I'm, out. I'm about to just take over this situation here. I'm about to let everybody know who's boss. You just showed up. You just introduced yourself. Why are you leading right now? Why are you telling them what they're going to do? He says, water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. You new guy? Why are you trying to, you know, like, what, who are you, man? Get out of here. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Verse 10, now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. I love this right here. Jacob's like, all right, look, I'm about to impress old girl. I'm about to, I'm about to show her. Look, everybody needs, they need about four or five guys to move this stone. I'm going to go move it myself, like throw an extra plate on the rack. I'm about to show her, <laughs> I'm about to show her who's boss. Jacob came near while everybody's still talking. He's like, all right, watch this. Let me move this stone. He moves the stone. He rolled the stone from the well's mouth by himself. That's pretty cool. He watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. So now 
So now here's, here's Rachel with all her sheep, and, and Jacob's here like watering them, taking care of them. He's like introducing himself. Verse 11, then Jacob kissed Rachel. That was quick, amen. <laughs> what an abrupt, like, whoa. He just snuck that in there, right? And Jacob snuck a kiss in on Rachel and then wept aloud. He has a lot of problems, doesn't he? <laughs> like, what just, Pastor Dean, he, just, he, he, he rolled the stone, he kissed Rachel, and then he, oh, he started crying. What am I doing? <laughs> it's just the Bible. We're reading the same book, all right? I'm not making this up. This is the narrative of this story. This is history right here. Jacob told Rachel that he was his father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father, verse 13, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to this house. Jacob told Laban all these things, verse 14. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month, verse 15. And then here's what Laban said to Jacob. Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Here's, here's the context of that right there. See, Jacob didn't have any money. He was on his own. Literally, he just was sent running for his life. He winds up here, and now he's, he, he's like, hey, can I, can I stay with you, Laban? Is, you, got a, you got a room for me? I don't got anything to contribute for it, but I'll work. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll I'll, I'll serve. I've already served. I've already helped water the flocks. And here's Laban, right? Kind of him to say, hey, I, I'm not going to let you do that for free. What, tell me what your wage is. What, what, what do you charge? Here's what Jacob said. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. Everybody say, hi, Leah. Hi, Leah. <laughs> and the name of the younger was Rachel. Everybody say, hey, Rachel. Hey, Rachel. Now, here's, here's the... Here's the commentary we get about Leah and Rachel. You ready? If you're ready, say ready. ready. Verse 17. And Leah's eyes were weak. That's it. <laughs> that's, all, that's all we know about Leah. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. We're introduced to these two sisters, and we know that Leah had some weak eyes. Translators have went back and forth on what that even means. Uh, some would say tired eyes. Some have said cross eyes. Some have said soft eyes, but hard to look at eyes. It's all we know about Leah. Now, the, I love the descriptive text here, right? Now, Rachel, on the other hand, she was, she was what, beautiful and well-formed in appearance. Uh, she was beautiful in form. I don't know what, what you want to picture with that, but that's what the author says there. And I just want to highlight that just for a second to say, hey, you know what? These, th this is the situation that Leah was in. Leah's eyes were weak. She probably had some uh, self-esteem issues. She probably always felt like she needed to compare herself to her sister. It was always Rachel that got the guy. It was always Rachel that got the love. It was always Rachel that was always in front. Always Rachel that got the praise. And here's Leah in the background with her weak eyes. Verse 18, Jacob loved Rachel. Right? Jacob said, I love that girl, Rachel. So here's what he says to Laban. 
He says, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. I don't want your older daughter, Leah. I want your younger daughter, Rachel. Is that crystal clear? Do y'all see it? I'll serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. See, there was an endowment that needed to happen in this ancient Near Eastern culture where you would have to give the father a specific amount of money in order to marry his daughter, all right? This was how this culture functioned. And so basically Jacob again saying, hey, I don't got any money, but I really, really, really want your daughter, Rachel. So I'll work for you seven years. That should work up enough in order for me to marry her. Now Laban's response is interesting right here. So I'll serve you seven years. Laban said, hey, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Now, that's an interesting response because he didn't say yes, right? He didn't say no. I get the feeling that we're getting ready to meet a bigger deceiver than Jacob did. So Jacob served him seven years for Rachel. And it seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Oh, isn't that a cool moment right there? like oh what a sweet verse he's like i'll serve you seven years it's just gonna be a couple days it's light work to do that verse 21 then jacob said to laban give me my wife that i may go into her for my time is completed i want to highlight that really quick this dude is super bold why would you say this to her dad i want to show it to you in a different translation let me show it to you in the niv So Jacob works his seven years. It seems like but a day. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to make love to her. Good night, man. That's not what you say to her, dad. But here's why this is important and why we can learn from this. Because we realize what Jacob was looking for. Right? Looking for love in all the wrong places. Let me give you the first point today. Looking for love, the lust of the flesh. Who knows if Jacob ever really even got to get to know Rachel, who he wanted to marry so bad. It seems like he really wanted to know her physically. The first thing out of his mouth to the dad on that moment where he, seven years is complete. Now let me get your daughter. I want to make love to her. What? (laughs) That is crazy talk, man. The lust of the flesh is not where you're supposed to look for love. Now, just receive that. I hope you hear that. That is a bad place to look for love. It's, it's fleeting. It's the bowl for the blessing, right? Let me give you a verse out of Proverbs chapter 31, a, a, ver, a, a, a chapter all about women of God that women of God should strive for. Uh, it says, charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Come on, let's give it up for our women of God in this room. Y'all deserve more praise just because that's what the scripture says. And the scripture says that if you're putting all your stock into your charm, it'll deceive you. It won't last. There's no filter for that. You can't hide it. All of our bodies are decaying. And one day you'll look back and say, man, I put my hope in the wrong thing. My charm won't be there. My beauty is, is the, the text says that your beauty is in vain. In other words, your beauty won't last. Your beauty can't sustain you. Maybe in the moment it can open a door for you, but ultimately it's the wrong place to look for love. If you want to look for love, look for somebody who fears the Lord. That's somebody 
to be praised. I love how Tony Evans says it. He says that the fear of the Lord just means that you take God seriously. How, how do you define fear of the Lord? It just means I take what God says seriously, right? And so, in other words, look for somebody who takes God serious. If Jacob was really looking for love, he should have looked for the person who, who takes God seriously because that's the ultimate praiseworthy relationship that we see here in the text. Let's jump back in. Let's keep reading here right now. Jacob served seven years for Rachel. They seemed but a few days. Give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. Verse 22. So Laban gathered together all the people. He made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah. Everybody say, hi, Leah. He took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zippah to his daughter Leah to be a servant. Now, here's what I want you to see about this. This is really interesting and um, sad at the same time and bizarre. Uh, in, in this ancient Near Eastern culture, here's how weddings would, be, would happen. Maybe I can teach a little bit. Maybe, maybe this could be edu educating for you. Um, weddings were not celebrated kind of typically how we do them in America. A wedding would last for a week. The first day of the wedding would be this big ordeal where the groom would, would, would celebrate with the, the father of the bride and all his friends. And meanwhile, the, the wife-to-be, which she would be in a room by herself with her veil on, and she wouldn't be seen until the next day, right? So all day long, the groom would be celebrating, he would be having a feast and party, and the climax moment where the actual marriage would happen would be in the nighttime, when the father would then release his daughter into the room with her husband-to-be. There was no marriage contract in Genesis 29. Do you know what the paper of marriage was? S-E-X. That, that defines if you're married or not. The two become one flesh, that's covenant marriage. That was the definition of marriage, that it's such a holy deal that if you were to go into that type of activity with a person, that's signing marriage. And so what happens here is Laban, this dad, has this plan, and he says, you know what, I'm going to deceive this guy, and I'm going to get him so drunk, Now I'm going to put together this amazing feast that finally when he goes to sleep and he's tired, I'm going to, and there's probably no LED lights in the room. <laughs> I'm going to send in Leah with the weak eyes. And he's not going to know a thing because he's going to be too out of it. He had to have been really out of it. Amen. I mean, had to have been. And so here's what happens next. In the evening, he, he took his daughter, Leah. He brought her in. Jacob slept with her. Verse 25, let's keep on reading. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Oh, man, he, wake, he wakes up. I can just, just go with me here, church. Here's what I picture. I picture Jacob bursting out of the room. I don't know if he had anything on or not. Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? What is, because it was such a big deal. Like, our culture has really missed it on this topic. We have belittled and dumbed down sex to just an ordinary activity. It's such a holy thing, which is why in Hebrews 13 it says, keep the marriage bed pure and undefiled. 
because God is a holy God. And he takes this stuff seriously. Praise God that, that Jacob did as well. And so Leah's over there like, yeah, I got me a husband. He's strong. He works hard. I finally figured it out. She thinks she hit the jackpot. And Jacob's like, what have you done to me, Laban? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Remember our deal? Why then have you deceived me? Come on, somebody repeat the message of last week. Deceivers never prosper. Deceivers never prosper. Why have you deceived me? Verse 26, Laban said, it's, it, it, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Doesn't that sound familiar? How about uh, two chapters before this, Jacob would deceive his brother for the birthright. Two chapters later, he would be deceived for the birthright. That, that God says, hey, I'm not going to be mocked. I'll bring it back on you. It's not going to be fun. Don't test me. In the moment where you think you got it under control, you don't. We need Jesus, and we need to walk with him. We see this right here in this text. I mean, it's devastating. It's not done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. So I had to give you the firstborn, even though you didn't know it. Just kind of how you snuck in on your dad, and you said, oh, I am the firstborn dad. He said, no, you're not. Remember what we said? God can't bless who you pretend to be. He can only bless who you are, who he created you to be, right? Look, I like how the this, this Zondervan study Bible I was reading on some commentary notes. It said... In a deception that is highly ironic, in the light of how Jacob treated Esau, Laban substitutes his older daughter Leah in place of his younger daughter Rachel. He says, isn't that ironic that the same deception happened to him? Let's jump back in the text. Let's keep reading. Uh, there's a few more scriptures that we need to, to learn from here today. Verse 27. So here's what he says. Laban said, it's not so done in my country. 27, complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving another seven years. So Laban says, I'm going to get both my daughters off me. You're going to marry them both, and you're going to do it for free. You're going to serve for seven years, complete one more week. We'll give you the other one also because Laban was a really bad dad. He didn't care for his daughters. He wanted to get them away. We see later on in the chapters, we actually hear Rachel say this out of her mouth. She said, I don't care about my dad. He never loved us anyway. He wanted to get us away anyway. So we see a lot about their upbringing. And Jacob did it. He completed her week. So basically, Jacob had a week, a week of a marriage feast for Leah. He completed it. And then he did a, the exact same thing again. And, and, and then married Rachel. This is a really bad episode of Sister Wives, all right? Come on, somebody. The, the, the Bible is no, nothing different than the culture today. We have shows about this on TV that are like, all, like people watch this stuff. Sad. And if you watch it, I'm not saying you're sad. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's happening in the Bible too, thousands of years ago. Verse 27, complete this week, all right? Jacob did and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. 
Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. Verse 30. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. He loved her a lot more than Leah, the text tells us, and he always had. But isn't that sad for Leah? Because she's locked into this marriage now, and she's unloved. He served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Verse 32, and Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, now my husband will love me. I want to highlight just one verse really quick right there that I think, that, that I hope would minister to somebody. When the, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, I just want to highlight the character of God here. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, let me give it to you in a different translation out of the, the, the New American Standard Bible, the NASB. Now, the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. I just want to camp out here just for one moment that today, because I want this to be practical for somebody, maybe, maybe you just feel unloved. The simple point is that the Lord sees you. Does anybody receive that? That... In the day that Leah felt unloved, even though all this deception and all this craziness and all this weird stuff happened to get to this moment, she felt unloved, God still said, you are known, right? And, and so if you're maybe in a relationship where you feel unloved, just know that God sees you. If, if you're not in a relationship because you feel unloved, I want to encourage you that God sees you. If you're looking for a relationship and you don't have one and it's because you feel unloved, the, the principle that I want to pull out from this scripture here that just stopped me is that God saw her, that, that God chose her, that God knew her. Even with her weak eyes, God loved her. God saw her and responded to her. We see this all throughout the Bible. Don't, don't we see it? Doesn't, doesn't God select what man rejects? Doesn't, doesn't God choose who, who man oftentimes will abuse? Like, doesn't God choose to use Moses to change the world? Where does Moses' story start? He is a baby floating down a river. Oh, my goodness. Floating to its death. And God miraculously rescues this baby. Look at David's story. Go back to 1 Samuel. Go back. We preached through David's story a year ago called identity theft. We talked about how David, right, he had all his 10 brothers, and God said, select for me a king amongst these people. And they lined up all 10 brothers, and they didn't even ask David to come. And God said, the king is not in this group. The king's in the shepherd field, the young boy out there. God is saying, I choose him, the one that you don't even love. And we see here in this text that, that the Lord saw Leah and responded to her. He actually opened up her womb, but Rachel was barren. But we see some more stuff here that I want to highlight. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But the response of Leah is very interesting. I want us to, I want us to see what, what she said, if we can highlight it. It says, the Lord has looked upon my affliction. Now my husband will love me. Now my husband will love me. Now my husband will remember me. So you got to just imagine this marriage, right? Like, I wasn't joking when I said this is a bad episode of Sister Wives. Like, like, Jacob probably ignored the heck out of Leah. Like, she thought she had it all made, 
And Jacob's like literally saying, I don't love you. I got deceived by your dad. I don't want you. And now we got a kid. But I love your sister though. Is that messy or what? I mean, that's just hard for me to even grasp. And so she says, okay, I got a baby now. Now my husband will love me. Let me give you the second point about looking for love in all the wrong places. The second point that I want to talk to you about is the approval of man. Looking for love in the approval of man. Don't find your love by who approves you or who doesn't. Right? Leah says, you know what? I'll feel loved if I can get approval. I, I really want my husband to notice me. I really want him to see me. I really want him to want me. And so I'll have a baby with him. And then he'll love me. Right? She, she ends up having two more babies. And each one of those babies, she picks names that she says, I hope that this will get my husband's attention this time. This time he'll want me. This time he'll attach himself to me. This time he's going to listen to me. I gave him three sons. Let me show it to you in this commentary from Tim Keller right here. Keller says, every time Leah has a son, she chooses a Hebrew word for the name that expresses her longing for Jacob. I want to encourage you with this word today, that you'll never be content until you find your contentness in Jesus. It doesn't matter how many babies you have or how many babies you don't have. It doesn't matter if your husband loves you or if he doesn't love you. You'll never be truly 100% content until you find this reality that God loves you and that you're known by him and everything else that everybody else contributes falls secondary, far secondary compared to him. The apostle Paul figured this out. In Philippians chapter four, we see Paul writing from prison. And I wanna read these verses to you as we get ready to close here pretty soon. Philippians four, verse 11 through 13. Paul says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content. Let me ask you, have you learned the secret of being content? Notice that Paul says, this thing is so powerful, it's a secret. Most people haven't learned it. This is not something that's taught. Sometimes it's caught. You got to learn this. You got to learn the secret of being content. Here's what Paul says, in any and every situation, he says, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I found it interesting that we had a mission team in town a couple weeks ago, and we had about 20 different students and leaders that were at our house, and I went around the room and I said, all right, I want you to say your name and your favorite scripture. Say your name and your favorite scripture. Now, 95% of the people in the room said their name and said Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and I want to praise the Lord for that. Yet at the same time, I hope they understood why that's their favorite verse. See, this is a coffee cup verse that oftentimes makes it on a t-shirt. You can actually find it on Steph Curry's shoe. It's his favorite verse, which is really cool that Under Armour put, I can do all things on their shoe. But we see this as a, a highlight verse in the Bible, and it should be. But this is a verse that you use in its context when you're Leah and you lay on your bed and your husband's with somebody else and you feel unloved and you say, I can do all things through Christ 
who gives me strength. I can do this. The secret of being content is not when you get your promotion, it's when you get fired. It's when you walk out of the room and you say, that did not go how I expected, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's not when you hit the game-winning shot and everybody storms you and you say, I can do all things who gives me strength. It's when you didn't even get into the game and you're on the bench and you're saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's not, it's not when you're preaching to thousands. It's when you're in the prison cell and your hand is cuffed and you're, getting, you're trying to, I can do even this is what Paul says. That is the context of Philippians 4.13. If you don't get verse 11 and 12, 13 will never make sense. Paul says, look, hey, I'm in prison. I'm hungry. I've had a lot before. I've lost it all before, but I learned the secret. And I want to encourage you. Do you know the secret? The secret is this. It's saying, all right, hey, even though I don't got it all figured out, even though I may feel unloved, even though I feel like she's got it better than me or he's got it better than me or how come they're getting blessed and I'm not getting blessed? How come she had a baby? How come I can't have a baby? I've learned the secret that Jesus wins and I can do all things through him. I can endure the season. Amen? Are you with me? That's, that's what I want you to see through this story here because Leah had an issue. First baby, this one will get my husband's attention. Second baby, this time he'll listen to me. Third baby, this time he'll attach himself to me because he has to. But the fourth baby is interesting. Let me give you a definition for content. I want to give you a definition for, for content, and I want to read to you about the fourth baby. Definition for the word content. In a state of peaceful happiness, satisfied. Can you say, even though there's a storm going all around me, I'm satisfied. And it's not because of anybody else. It's because of Jesus. It's because my God loved me so much that he would go to the cross in my place. I, I, we all deserve death and hell and destruction. But Jesus says, I, I, I want something better for you. I want you to be satisfied, and you'll only find it in me. And I'll, I'll die, and I'll rise from the grave. And our faith today is in a resurrected king who is like the Lord Almighty. Nobody. Because he loves Leah's and Rachel's, and we can find our contentness in him. So let's go ahead and, and, and let's look at the, the, this next verse right here in the scriptures before we finish up here today. She conceived again and bore a son. She said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. She named him Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son. Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And then she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Let me highlight that before we close. She figured it out. Do you see that? This time my husband's going to hear me. This time he's going to be attached to me. This time I'm just going to praise the Lord. Because I realized it was never about him in the first place. It was always about him in the first place, right? And that God opened her womb so that he could be glorified. And that Leah finally said, you know what? I'm not going to praise other people. I'm not even going to praise my lousy husband. I'm definitely not going to praise my sister. I'm definitely not going to praise my dad. I'm not going to praise my, where I live. I'm not going to praise anything else. I'm just going to praise the Lord. Come on, can we just praise the Lord for that? Learn, let's learn. Learn from her. Learn for Leah. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Our God is the lion, the lion of Judah. That's Judah right there. 
We just see his origin right there. We see, we see where Judah came from. He came from Leah. That's crazy. God is a redeemer that God would choose Leah to bring forth Judah. Judah means praise. Judah doesn't mean, I hope my husband sees me. Judah means, I'm going to praise God even if he doesn't. I'm going to be in a state of happiness and peace because my contentness is in God, and I'm going to follow him no matter what. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased from bearing. I like this psalm right here. Psalm 59, verse 17 says it like this. Oh, my strength, to you I sing praises. For you, oh God, are my refuge, the God who shows me unfailing love. Do you believe that today? God's unfailing love even made it to Leah, and, and that became her strength. That became her strength. I want to jump ahead to Genesis chapter 30, and these will be the last few verses that we touch on because I don't want us to leave out the other sister, Rachel. See, Rachel had it all going on at first. Then Leah got moved into the picture, and she started having babies, and Rachel didn't. And now let's go ahead and return to the other wife in these last five verses before we close. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She was salty. That just means she was upset. She said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Wow. That is um, some anger. Jacob's anger was kindled because how many know when you, when you sow anger, you get it back? Especially in the married life. Can I get an amen, husbands, in the room? Come on, somebody. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here's my servant Bilhah. What a name. Shout out to Bilhah. <laughs> Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf that even I may have children through her. Everybody say this loud with me. Say, bad idea. Say it again. Say, bad idea. The problem with this is she didn't even learn from her ancestors, right? Because we saw this happen several chapters before. When I, we preached through the life of Abraham, and we talked about how Abraham's wife, Sarah, got discontent because she wasn't having babies. And then she went and grabbed her servant, Hagar, and said, hey, just have a baby with Hagar, and we'll just keep it. It never works. That's a bad, bad, bad idea. Why'd she do that? She should have learned. She said, here's my servant, Bilhah, going to her so that she may give birth on behalf that even I may be children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. But how many of you guys know it takes two to tango, right? Come, come on, Jacob, don't do that. Jacob, don't, don't touch her. That's not your wife. Go back with one more verse. Look, it said, and Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. This is all types of madness now. So now we got babies from Bilhah. We got babies from Leah. And we got an upset Rachel. The, the, the third point of where to, where to not look for love is looking for love in the possessions of life. Don't look for love in the possessions of life. It says that she was angry, that she actually envied her sister because she was having babies. But Rachel wasn't having babies. She envied her sister. Don't look for love in the possessions of life. Look at this. Let me see everybody's eyes. Check this out. Look at all everybody in the story. Leah's miserable, Jacob's miserable, and Rachel's miserable. And the reality is they all needed to be saved. 
They all needed to have that moment where they said, I find my contentness in the Lord, for he is my rock. He won't be moved, and he will set me free if I can just put my faith in him. Long story short, we make our way to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, where we finally find the, the rescuer himself, Jesus. And I think that it's really neat that it's in Jesus's lineage in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Sometimes it's hard to read these verses because they're just genealogy, but it says, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah. And that it's really neat that God would select Judah to, to be the line that the Messiah Jesus would come from. He would actually come from, from Leah's line. It's very interesting that, that, that Leah was rejected because of how she looked and how she felt. But God said, I'm going to use you to bring forth the Messiah. I'm going to use you to bring forth Judah. Now, if you continue to read, you can do your extra credit. Read chapter 31 and 32. Learn more about Rachel. Rachel would end up giving birth to a son named Joseph, who is amazing. And Joseph would be used to actually set the people free in the end. It would be Rachel's son, Joseph, whom Jacob loved the most. And then she gave birth to an, 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 another son, and they named him Benjamin. And that's a really cool story as well. As she said, his name will be called Bioni. And Jacob said, no, his name will be Benjamin. The Lord is my strength. Right? And so we see here that, that Jacob, he figures it out that marrying two women wasn't a good choice. He was deceived by Laban. And we're going to pick it up with more of this awesomeness next week. Amen? Amen. Amen.